Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke and today I'm joined by wonderful friend, esteemed colleague and truly flawless professional cyclist Simon Von Bromley. Cycling journalist. (laughs) Sorry, professional cycling journalist Simon (laughs) Von Bromley. And in today's podcast, we're going to be looking ahead to the rest of 2024 to predict what road bikes we think may be launched, but also kind of what bikes we'd like to see updated this year. Um, You know, part of this is inspired by the fact that bikes generally go through a cyclical, 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 cyclical development um, cycle. (laughs) And there's a few uh, models which are quite long in the tooth now, and we are just expecting to be updated as part of that. But also some of this is based on a little bit of of what we've seen out there. And previously in our Road Tech, our World Tour Tech Gossip Roundup, we talked a bit about bikes we've already seen. A very good listen. But it's also an Olympic year. It is also an Olympic year this year. So there's two bites of the marketing cherry for any brands who are launching new stuff this year. So we're going to get stuck straight in. Simon Von Bromley, how could we start with anything but the giant TCR, the bike best associated with the young Von Bromley? Surely, not any professional cyclist. Why do we think this one could be launched in 2024? So the uh, the previous update to this uh, iconic carbon road bike, we should say, was launched in April 2020. And of course, you know, in April 2024, it's going to be four years. And now four years in the kind of the life cycle of a, of a bike uh, it is kind of what you would expect to see a kind of update that you, from from Giant. And, you know, we've recently seen updates to the Propel and then the uh, Defy, mm-hmm. both of which have kind of moved to a shared, uh, you know, fully internal cable routing system on the on the front end. And I think it's, it just seems like a logical next step for the Giant uh, TCR to be next and to kind of adopt a similar, um, you know, front end arrangement with a kind of D-shaped uh, steerer tube, cables run underneath the stem and into the into the frame. So for context, those aren't familiar with Giant's range, the TCR is the all-rounder road bike now. It kind of takes that. I mean, historically, it was pegged as a lightweight bike, but now it's kind of a bit more all-rounder, but definitely more lightweight than comparable bikes from other brands. The Propel is the all-out aero bike, but equally has moved away from just pure aero focus to something a bit more rounded. And then the Defy is the endurance bike. But the TCR, it kind of stands out now, as you say, because it's a little bit older, but also... It is a bit of an outlier with its external cable routing, but also that slight aero focus. So you've already touched on internal routing. I think that's almost a given. It will adopt a similar system to the other two bikes. What other changes do you think we'll see with the TCR? I, I think it's a tricky one in a way because I think the problem for the TCR is that the latest Propel is so light. Now, the Propel is the, pla- is the gi- you know, giant's um, aero road bike, or it was nominally, but the, the latest one... Uh, you can you can build to six point nine kilos with you know tubeless wheels and tires and I mean you do have to have a very very deep set of pockets but you can do it yeah but uh, what my, my kind of point being that like for a for a world tour team who's running the top spec frame with top spec components and top spec wheels uh, they can build one to basically the UCI weight limit mm-hmm. now that is without pedals and you know you add a set of two hundred and fifty gram Durace pedals or whatever and you, you know you're kind of nudging seven kilos so there is still kind of 200 grams above the UCI's minimum weight limit of 
you know, two or three hundred grams above the six point eight kilo minimum weight limit. But but realistically, three hundred grams just isn't much in terms of weight saved and performance gained. So it kind of you know when when the propel used to be seven seven point mm. eight kilos, it was a different story, and and we saw riders switching between the propel and the TCR, but. I don't. I, I don't think we. You know, if the if the TCR doesn't get updated this year, I don't think we'll see anyone from, say, you know, Team Jayco Alula racing the TCR does in the any, world. Does anybody race the TCR at all now? I can't recall seeing one. Certainly, haven't seen one in a in a in a while. Basically, no, because the Propel is just you know, it's, it's a faster bike. It's it's more aerodynamic and basically just as light in the kind of you know UCI spec now. Will Giant make the TCR more of a kind of, you know, we, we've seen some suggestions from people, oh, they could make it like a specialized AFOS, you know, people really love that kind of like ultra lightweight focused bike with the more kind of classically round tubes, you know, maybe keep the external cable routing so that it's you know, easier to live with and make it less of a race bike and more of a lifestyle yeah, bike. Yeah, exactly. A lifestyle <laughs> bike for the cycling auteurs out there. I, I just don't, I don't, you know, to, I don't know if that's Giant's vibe. The TCR is the kind of quintessential race bike mm. and has been for so long that I think Giant really missed a trick by not just kind of binning the propel range and making the what is the latest propel, just calling that the TCR, you know, combining the propel and the TCR into one do-it-all road bike and calling it the TCR because that's the iconic name. If, if you know, I, I'm not really clamoring for the internal cable routing thing because I don't think it adds enough for the kind of you know, the common man <laughs> like myself, you know, the person who's not racing, I don't necessarily think it adds enough performance to really warrant it. And I quite like the external cable routing on my giant TCR because it just means it's easier to live with. And much easier for you to endlessly swap handlebars as is your want. <laughs> yeah, as, yeah, swap stems, swap handlebars, you know, and, and importantly, you know, because we live in a country where it rains all the time, I clean my headset. Do you actually? Yeah, well, you know, occasionally. If I'm taking it apart, I will. <laughs> Simon, never change. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I think it will adopt the fully internal cable routing because I think ultimately that's what's selling bikes. You know, we publish a number of articles bemoaning the kind of the drawbacks or maybe where it's appropriate on bikeradar.com. But there's no doubt, a bit like disc brake versus rim brakes, the bikes that people are buying in shops have fully internal cable routing. And, and, and ultimately, these brands are driven by the fact that they want to sell bikes. Yeah. I'm on the fence with it, to be honest. I think internal cable routing, certainly from what you said, I think Giant's implementation is one of the less hateful out there. I, would, I wouldn't buy a bike with internal cable routing. Personally, it's just not for me. But I, I think if they go that way, it won't it won't rock my world. I think the ethos point is quite interesting. We are going to talk about the ethos in a bit. I think that Specialized really hit a marketing coup there, and brands could do a lot to learn from that and what people engage with. Like, I'm sure the ethos isn't Specialized's best-selling bike, but it's definitely one that captured people's imaginations. But I do agree with your point that it do, it wouldn't be a very giant-like move. They're not like they're really good brand to make excellent bikes but they're not really known for you know trendy cool marketing stunts that make make cool bikes i just i agree it probably would be out of step with their previous efforts hmm interesting stuff simon on to the trek monda which is another one we've talked a little bit about in the last few weeks on the podcast but we think it's almost a certainty that we might see <laughs> almost a certainty we might that's a bit of an oxymoron that we might see a new monda this year simon Give me the, the gossip on this one. So I think the, if I'm right in saying it, the, the, the current Trekamonda was also released in 2020. Correct. So again, it's just kind of 
we're just basing it off this kind of this this cyclical nature that we've seen the Madone released recently, uh, or kind of you know in 2022, I believe the Madone was. No, or, I think it was. Was it even last year? God. No, it can't be. Time merges into one. Time merges into one when you're in <laughs> bike <laughs> bike journalism. It was but, either at the start of last year or the end of 2022. But yeah. So so fairly recently, and we don't expect that to be updated because it has been released so recently. But yeah, we spotted a uh, a picture of uh, Guilo Ciccone of the Little Trek team riding a you know a lightweight unbranded bike with a kind of ISO flow uh, hole in the seat tube. Now we assume it's a Trek bike, and it's just kind of you know because he rides for Little Trek, and he literally would get in professional trouble for riding any other bikes. And it was red as well, and it had all the kind of distinctive. ISO flow cantilevered seat post uh, thing we would expect. You know, it looks as if the Imonda is going to essentially get a little bit lighter. The, the frame tubes look a little bit slimmer, perhaps. Uh, and it's also going to adopt the ISO flow, which is kind of like an aerodynamic and comfort aid from the Madone. Comfort aid makes it sound like mobility <laughs> aid. <laughs> it makes it sound as sexy as a stair lift. <laughs> well, you know, engineering doesn't have to be sexy to be effective. Well, that's, that's, that's true. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, my I kind of, as we kind of discussed on the uh, the gossip podcast, and I do recommend going back to listen to that. It was it, fun. I enjoyed good that. fun one. The only kind of question in our head about uh, whether this is indeed a new Amanda is that if it adopts this ISO flow design, which is kind of so uh, distinctive. Does it then become too close to the Madone? And you know, because the Madone, as well, in its you know hyper aero, hyper aero, but also hyper oh, sorry, hyper yes. expensive guys, is an incredibly light bike as well. You know, you can build that down to pretty light weights. And again, if this bike ends up being you know marginally lighter and marginally less aero, is is it kind of too similar? Does it warrant Trek having both bikes in their kind of product catalogue which for which they've got to have you know Trek offers quite a few sizes they've got to have moulds for every individual size you know like there's a lot of inventory a lot of skews my feeling is that this probably is the Madone not to I don't want to dwell too much on the specialised ethos but like let's look again at that and it's it's marketing success people want all-rounder lightweight road well sorry let me rephrase that they want lightweight classic road bikes people really have engaged with that and historically the Amanda was that bike I think if they did make the Amanda more like the Madone with that quite unusual and divisive isoflow seat tube I think there would be too little differentiation as you alluded to between the two my feeling is that this is probably the Madone and as we alluded to in the previous podcast or in a previous podcast, like the Madone, when it was updated, was kind of overdue. My feeling is that the Madone was overdue COVID, pandemic, supply issues, whatever, delayed it. And the cycle for the new one is sort of beginning now and has maybe been hastened by the fact that, yeah, the previous one was delayed. So that That's just me guessing. But bear in mind that what we see, even in our privileged position within cycling media, like the product cycles and product runs that brands are working to will be far, far longer than anything we'll ever be privy, privy to. I think, like, think about a group set, for example, something like SRAM on the mountain bike side with the UDH and all its um, kind of specific specs required for that. Like that wasn't just dumped on brands. They didn't find out at the same time as us. They would have known about that years in advance. And it'll be exactly the same for this new Madone, or sorry, new Madone, new whatever it is, there'll be something that will have influenced the bike's design, whether that's trends or tech or whatever, that will have been 
Trek will have been privy to long before we ever are. So my feeling is that this probably is the the new Madone and the Amanda, which is due an update 2020. I mean, he's unrideable, Simon. So, yeah, so, it's, so ob- is, is, is it's obsolete. Obsolete. It's <laughs> due an update. I feel like the Amanda, which did sort of deviate from its traditionally very lightweight focus, will move back to our like proper proper lightweight bike with uh, with the new one that's my gut feeling anyway but we don't know we'll find out soon once again do listen back to the world tour tech gossip podcast we went on a, a fun tangent and a fun tangent was the opposite of a fun tangent actually about heads down riding at the end there's some good good discussion some really good responses to that actually in the podcast inbox and if you do have any thoughts questions queries or scoops and stuff send those through to podcast at bikeradar.com Simon, on to the next one, the Factor Ostro Vam. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know very much about this one, so I'm going to lean heavily on you to do the talking. (laughs) Yeah, so Factor, obviously, last year released its updated O2 Vam, which is its kind of uh, climbing platform, which, you know, super lightweight with like a 730 gram disc brake frame. So they've done that. What's their other road mm. bike? It's the you know the Ostro. Now we know this one is coming because we've literally already seen it, it <laughs> and it says Ostro on on it. And no, you, know, you know more than me. You've been spending more time in Getty than I have on our yeah. So <laughs> so Simon Clark of uh, the Israel Premier Tech team has been riding it at a tour down under, and I uh, also believe that uh, Ruth Winder of the women's human powered health team has also been riding one in the women's world tour at the tour down under. So. You know, this doesn't look like a major a major update. It's kind of has a similar overall silhouette. It looks like they've made the the head tube slightly more hourglass shaped, which is you know usually a good a good change. Narrower tends to be faster at the front end, and then at the rear they've kind of reprofiled the seat tube, maybe moved the seat stays slightly. You know, I would imagine this is going to be the kind of classic combination of just you know slightly more aerodynamic, slightly lighter, maybe a little bit more comfortable. But you know, they, uh, one of the one of the changes I am quite pleased to see actually is that um, when we reviewed it, reviewed it very, you know, it was an it was an excellent bike, really nice to ride. My one one of my kind of main quibbles with it was that it had like a really awkward location for the seat post clamp bolt that was under underneath the top tube and in the kind of triangle. Oh between, yeah, yeah. In yeah, the yeah. triangle between the top tube and the seat tube, and it required a special tool which didn't come with the bike. What do you mean by a special? Well, tool? as in like you had to have like a long. Allen bit okay, that I was see, really yeah. that was thin enough oh, not, not yeah, to yeah, catch yeah, yeah. not to catch the frame mm. and 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 it's just kind of like why why <laughs> what is this so but they appear to have moved the clamping bolt location to the rear of the seat seat tube now in a kind of similar place that you would see it on a you know Pinarello Dogma F for example you won't need you know, from the looks of things any special tools it maybe even has two bolts so you know hopefully there's not going to be any slippage not that there was with the other one but it was just a kind of a slightly annoying place so other than that not much looks to have changed it seems it's going to continue with the kind of you know one piece black ink bar stem there's a new black ink aero wheel set that I'm sure it'd probably be Slightly wider, slightly more aero. You know, very light, very expensive. Yeah, very light, very expensive. But um, you know, I, I'm kind of sort of. I'm sure it'd be a fantastic bike because the last one was, you know, light, very fast, very comfortable, very good to ride. You know, like I think I quite like the way that Factor does. You know, offers quite a lot of customization options, which is quite nice. You know, Factor is a really interesting brand, and they did some really, really interesting stuff early on. The O2 Vam and the Ostro Vam are more mainstream, um, which I'm sure as means, in they are more mainstream now. 
Yes, but I, which I'm sure you know they sell. I'm sure they sell better. But it, you know, there's no kind of like split down tube on mm. this, or a kind of like hinged fork. Or yeah, hit wide stance hinged fork, like there is on their kind of you know uh, Hanzo time trial bike, for example. But you know, being a little you know, vanilla is the most popular flavor of ice cream, as I love to say. <laughs> Do you think like with bike design and the early factory bikes, you are right in saying they were quite out there in terms of design? Um, I wrote an opinion piece on the site this week around bikes without seat tubes. This is—it's not an exact like-for-like like example, but there's a reason why that design's never taken off. Subtext: bikes without seat tubes are rubbish, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but within Factor's case, that sort of convergence where these bikes—they are—they have got their own, well, as with any bike, interesting traits. But like, they aren't as out there as they were. Do you think that's because? I don't think you'll have the answer to this question because consumers are soft, often put off by things which are unusual? Or do you think it's because from a technical and engineering perspective, the norm, as we see it with bikes today, is the fastest, most optimized way to make a bike? I think it's the former, to be honest, because I think, you know, if you look at the uh, the factor aero bikes, which had the split down tube, for example, I, I have, obviously, I haven't seen the kind of data I haven't been to Winton, I haven't tested it against a kind of more conventional bike. But I would imagine they did that for a for a reason. Yeah. I imagine it, the the issue with that is that it adds surface area and that adds weight, right? And so it makes that bike fairly heavy because because you've got to have instead of you know just a kind of wrap of carbon around the outside of a big uh, truncated aerofoil, suddenly you've got two aerofoils which have to be wrapped. You know, basically you're adding carbon to that middle bit. So there may have been an aero gain, but there would have been a weight penalty. And I think, I mean, when we're talking about you know road bikes, people are just you know we say this all the time, but it is true. People are just so sensitive to weight, and and it and so like because they can they can see it on a piece of paper mm. and 8.5 kilograms is heavier than 8 kilograms and that and it's worse mm-hmm. whereas like you know factor tells you that this down tube is more aerodynamic because it's split in two but like people kind of go yeah but i can't measure that and like mm. you know every brand tells me their down tube is aerodynamic and i'm going to put a bottle on it anyway mm. you know so i i think you know these different these kind of different aerodynamic you know tricks and things like that I'm, I'm pretty sure you know there, there is something to them because otherwise we wouldn't see them in places on in places like track bikes yeah. you know if you take the kind of wide stance fork on a hope hbt and the kind of you know wavy uh, seat tube that garner had on his um you know our record track bike and you know all the kind of crazy stuff that you see on you we're seeing on stuff like the Jap- we're going to see at the tokyo 2020 olympics a lot of you know really kind of out there designs I think there are kind of conditions and, um, you know, places in which these things do offer improved performance. And that's why, you know, we, we're more likely to see them on a time trial bike, for example, because you know, we, we, with time trial bikes, people just stop caring about weight, which is really, really funny because a time trial is all about going as fast as possible. So and surely so, you've got to be light. Well, no, you've got to be really aero, right? Oh, right. Sorry, sorry, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> but then in a road race... The, the the same doesn't apply, and it's just you know it's it's really funny with that um that we saw a pock an unreleased pock helmet at the tour down under, and and I knew we covered we we obviously covered it because I knew people would go oh that is awful it's so ugly look at that but actually like by pock standards this was a relatively unusual helmet if you wore that in a time trial no one would bat an eyelid it was just a kind of short tail helmet mm-hmm. had a visor he was wearing it clipped at the back you know not too many vents on top 
Like it looked fairly standard. It covered half their ears was the kind of kind of key con- contra- controversy. But as soon as it gets anywhere near a road bike, people's opinions on this stuff absolutely flip. Mm. You know, and I'm and I'm not saying that I'm immune from this either because I would wear that with a time with a, if I was riding a time trial bike, I happily wear a teardrop shaped helmet with a lovely big visor. You know, perhaps with some kind of like plastic barge borge edging on it, as I've been known to do at the local Chew Valley TT. But would <laughs> I wear that on my road bike? Like, absolutely not. You wouldn't catch me dead wearing that <laughs> but and, yeah. and i'm the kind of person who really buys into this stuff like yeah, I, I could tell you that yeah i really believe this helmet is faster but would i actually wear it on the road bike no so it, i i think it's i think it's kind of to do with that and, and i think we've seen that you know divisive but obviously i don't have sales figures but like divisive features tend to tend to split audiences and, and so you know if you're a bike brand and you know you want to you want to appeal to more people. You don't really want to, you know, unless unless it's kind of like a specific strategy that you're kind of trying to do. You want to hit a re- you want to hit a niche just because you're really passionate about, you know, like a, you know, there are certain weight weenie brands, right? The Remo, for example, they make ultra light carbon parts. They're just trying to hit that niche. But if you're a kind of bigger brand wanting to sell bikes generally to a wider audience, then I, I think I think you know. Being more inclusive with your design decisions, it probably pays off. Wise words from the Von Braun. If you have any thoughts on that, do send them to podcast at bikecreator.com. I mean, you pretty much just did a podcast in itself there, Simon. <laughs> Could be a topic for Maybe a future discussion. Maybe we cut that down. <laughs> no, no, it was great. Every minute was was to be savoured. Uh, on to our next bike, the Canyon Air Road. Now, when we were looking at, I was looking at the notes for this podcast, I sort of overlooked this, to be honest. The Air Road, to me, and I think I might have said this almost word for word in a previous podcast, but still a very contemporary-looking bike, you know, very bang-on trend with what's happening in, in aero road bike tech today. But that bike was released in October 2020, actually quite a long while. Now, we've seen a handful of running changes to this bike, the primary one being the uh, switch and seat clamp design. The original seat clamp on the Air Road was widely reported to cause um, seat post slippage and also just a bit damage to the post over time. The Canyon's never publicly acknowledged this, but the, the overall feeling is that the change in the seat post clamp design was to, to address some of those issues. And it's quite a subtle change, but as far as we're aware, is a running change being made to all new bikes. Beyond that, though, nothing. Nothing about the Canyon Air Road. And actually, surprisingly, one that's not been leaked anywhere either. So... Simon, what do you reckon? What could Canyon do for this new bike? Bearing in mind it's a very winningest bike, to use a horrible turn of phrase, uh, and does still look pretty good in 2024. What do you think they'll change? What would you like them to change? I, In terms of what I think they'll change, I think it will be fair. You know, Canyon is a brand that doesn't... Well, actually, no, that's not... That's, I was going to say they, you know, they tend to... The air road doesn't change too much, but they, you know, to be fair, Canyon is the brand that released the infamous hover bar, so they do know how to stir Lyle things comment. up when they want to. One I, of the greatest days of my uh, professional career, I went on the launch for the Grail, and I just knew I was sitting on a gold mine of page views. What a treat! It was great. <laughs> you know, carry on. <laughs> so, but I don't think we're going to see a hover bar on the next air road, for example. I, I would, you know, I would imagine that it will kind of stick. I think you're right that it does look a very contemporary bike. You know, Canyon's design language is very much kind of you know, modernist, it's straight lines, sharp edges, all of that stuff. And it does it does still look fantastic. You know, I, I think with a bike like that, because it's raced by someone like Matthew Van der Poel, you know, they're going to be kind of careful because, 
you know, he he's going to have a, a big influence. And if they make something that he doesn't want to ride, that's going to be a, a bit of a faux pas. So I think it's going to be, you know, stiffer, lighter, faster, all, all of those sorts of big things. I think in terms of if I had a wish list for this bike, you know, it's it's pretty short, but there is one major thing that I really detest. And, and that is the kind of proprietary um, quill stem arrangement and the resulting integrated handlebar that you have to have with that bike. Now, this caused a real problem early on for this bike because Vanderpool, uh, his handlebar snapped mid-race post a crash at the lever clamping point and Canyon had to basically issue a stop ride notice whilst it kind of investigated this and I believe it might have replaced I can't remember. I'd have to look back, to be honest. I can't recall exactly what the solution was. But, but yes. they definitely issued a stop ride notice and they had to kind of investigate what had mm-hmm. happened. Because And basically, you had to stop riding because you, this not, it wasn't just a case of, well, you know, this handlebar has a potential point of failure. You know, just swap it out for another one and then, you know, you'll be able to swap it back on when we finished. You know, because this handlebar was out of service, the whole bike was out of service. Now, for me, this would be less of an issue if Canyon was a brand like you know Pinarello or whatever, who offered you know twenty eight different sizes of its handlebar and and stem combinations, but they don't. Now you buy a Canyon bike, you get no choice. And Canyon at the launch of this bike said that they would allow people to kind of get in touch and request a different handlebar. But I have not heard of anyone actually being able to do that. They don't list the handlebar for sale on their website, and I think my impression is that they are very reluctant hmm. for for users to swap handlebars now they would counter you know rightly so that the handlebar offers adjustable width uh so that you can choose between you know on a kind of a a medium or a large bike you can choose between i think it's you know 40 42 30 you know 42 40 and then 38 centimeter wide handlebars and that's and that's you know that's fine you know it's a kind of like a pretty complicated solution for a problem that didn't really need solving because we've always been able to just choose whatever handlebar width we wanted but the handlebar doesn't offer any um provision to adjust reach Mm. and for me that's just like outrageous I, i i you know obviously i you know I, I'm not in charge of all reviews at Bike Radar, as you know, many people may have realized. But like for me, <laughs> it's a really out. It's a, it's it's pretty outrageous. I, I would not buy a bike that you couldn't adjust the reach on. It's pretty singular on the market for that. And 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 obviously, you know, if it fits you fine, it's not a problem. But we're not all Matthew Vanderpool. We can't request a fancy new custom cockpit no, just for us. Yeah, exactly. And so I, you know, I just. And I think I don't, you know, you, yes, you gain the ability to raise and lower the stack height by 15 millimeters uh, without having to cut the steerer. But actually, like 15 millimeters is not a lot. You could leave 15 millimeters of, you know, uncut steerer <laughs> on on your on your normal normal steerer tube and and just kind of have a few headset spaces above or below. So, so yeah, I'm really hoping they'll change that. I think. The the recently launched uh, Canyon update to the Canyon Grail, which you reviewed and really liked, had a, had a standard uh, steerer tube and a, it did have an integrated bar, but it had a round steerer tube with cable routing that went through the headset, but wasn't completely fully integrated. And I'm hoping 
despite the fact that Canyon brought the kind of aero bar to the ultimate, I'm hoping that maybe someone there has had a, a kind of a change of heart and a change of heart and realized that actually being able to you know swap in different stems and different handlebars is actually still a good idea. I think so. Yeah, I I would say the Grail, but also other bikes that have been launched by Canyon probably indicate the direction they're going. Am I right in saying that the Ultimate, does that use the similar design? No. It does, it does yeah. It uses exactly, exactly the same design, which gives me pause for uh, thought, obviously. Now, yeah, like, I'm sure it's a very popular bike and maybe there's, there are lots of people who are very happy about it. And, you know, you can, you could technically adjust the reach by, you know, if you needed more reach, you could push your saddle back or you could push it forward if you needed less. But, like, uh, that's just, it's just such a big compromise for me that, yeah, it, it puts me off buying it. And it's a real it's a real shame because otherwise I think it's a fantastic bike. Like it is undoubtedly very fast, very light, good looking, like great value to, you know, obviously Canyon's prices aren't perhaps as cheap as they once were, but they're still very competitive considering that you get builds which are basically flawless. So yeah, I've kind of got, you know, big hopes that that Canyon will kind of res- renege on its opinion that stem length doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one to keep an eye out for. We'll um a uh, good little bit of bike radar lore for you here with the Canyon Air Road. Um when it when this one launched, uh we hadn't seen it at all. We hadn't seen it raced anywhere. It wasn't teased, it wasn't leaked, and we were obviously always on the hunt for new bikes. And do you know where it appeared, Simon? Appeared on an advert for Zwift on bikeradar.com. It did, yeah, I remember that. Spotted by our very own Joe Norledge previously of this parish. Absolute like oh. That was a sweet moment. There we go. <laughs> uh, speaking of radars, the Merida Reactor was one that's somewhat flown under the radar, according to the notes for this podcast. <laughs> Simon, you uh, have tested the Merida Reactor and rather liked it. It's reviewed very consistently, very popularly across other sites that do exist outside of Black Radar, as well as us. Why do we think this one might be updated this year? I think this is just another 2020 bike and... You know, uh, Merida released a Sculptura, which got a bit more like the Reacto in, in a sense. But I just, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just another kind of 2020 bike and one that, you know, potentially due an update. It, you know, in terms of what I would change, I, I honestly don't really know. Like I, I did, yeah, I reviewed a kind of mid-range spec model with uh, Mechanical Ultegra uh, a while ago, and I really liked it. I thought the handling was great. You know, it didn't have any kind of, annoying proprietary systems you know you could put a standard it had a standard stem and handlebar but you could also take an integrated a fully integrated vision handlebar if that's what you you know if that's what you really wanted put a flat bar on it yeah if you wanted to jack <laughs> you know that you know it's your choice um you know I, I'm, I'm sure like you know faster lighter you know stiffer it's, it's kind of all of those things so i'm not i'm not necessarily there's, there's kind of not too much i would want them to change about it i thought it was i thought it was great and actually like it's still pretty reasonably priced you know you can get a build with i'll just look it up now ultegra di2 and reynolds carbon wheels continental gp5000 tires how much do you think that would set you back Ooh. Uh, that's a great question. It's quite hard. I'm, I'm going to really caveat this answer. But, um, Let me tell you that a, a Tarmac SL8 with a similar bill costs 8K, £8,000. £6,000? £4,850. Damn. It's very good value. Is that RRP? That is RRP. That's on their website. That's yeah. like that's like Vetus reduced pricing. Not not quite as good, but not far off. That's, yeah. that's genuinely not very much money. No, exactly. So... You know, and th- and this is a bike that's obviously you know still being raced by the Bahrain team in in the World Tour. So, yeah, 
it's a really lovely bike. You know, they could do, there's lots of little things that have kind of aero things that have kind of come out recently, like integrated bottle cages and things like that. And, you know, Merida has a, you know, a little penchant for its kind of little cooling fins on its disc brake pads. And so maybe we scuffed your shoes, if I'm not wrong. No, that was Matthew. Matthew Matthew Loveridge's shoes. Yeah, I I don't pedal in such a heel-in style. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have horrible flipper feet. (laughs) Matthew's a friend. I can say these things to him. (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, so I so this, this you know honestly there's there's not a lot I change, but it, I think you know it's kind of like I'd like to see it back in the spotlight a bit more because it, it was a it was a bike that I really enjoyed riding and and I think it kind of deserves a little bit more attention than it perhaps gets. Well, we'll be giving it plenty of attention as Simon, as I always like to joke, will be scrolling through Getty on his lunchtime, looking <laughs> at photos of Bahrain Merida uh, for their tasty new bike. Uh, after much hyping, let's go on to the specialised Athos. Also a bit like the Canyon Air Road, one I hadn't really considered prior to this, but it's been one of the breakout launches of the last few years. We already used the turn of phrase, but a real marketing coup from Specialized. It killed off the Venge, but then launched a dedicated lightweight bike to much fanfare. Some derision too, of course, from people who would have pointed out that the rim brake bike would have been lighter. But nonetheless, a bike that's really, really chimed with our audience. It's evidenced by the fact that everything we publish about the Athos is always very popular, very popular review on site in the comments, generally speaking. People like that vibe of bike. And they said very similar things about the Crux, which is sort of like the turned into a, a lightweight gravel bike, very much inspired, technically speaking, but also just visually by the Athos. Again, a bike people have really, really vibed with. Um, now, when the Athos first, uh, was first released, it was only available on an S-Works model, and it was really, really, really expensive. <laughs> but it's right down to £3,250 now for a third-tier frame with the Shimano 105 group set. Um, there's still a lot of money. You know, you're still talking a lot of cash for a third-tier frame and group set. Regardless, though, it is, is a more accessible bike. And with that broadening of the range, I don't think it's much of a stretch to suggest that an update to the flagship model could be around the corner. Um, I mean, if I'm honest, I, I, I struggle to see where Specialized would go with this, with the top tier frame, the existing S-Works frame weighs 585 grams with round tubes, you know, it's external routing, external seat post clamp, like unless they, unless they can make it significantly lighter, which feels unlikely, any improvements to that bike will be around moving into things like integration, for example, while hopefully still maintaining that lightweight. But then you would question, like, well, is that really the vibe of that bike, though? Are people actually going to kind of hate that? Like, okay, maybe I'm going to get an Athos with a cool, neat handlebar up front, and it might weigh the same, but that comes at the expense of the vibes, man, and people like vibes. So I I don't know. I don't know where Specialized would go with the Athos, but I don't think it would be a stretch to see it updated this year. Simon, burgeoning hill climb superstar, what do you think the Athos will do? The ethos specialized with the ethos. Yeah, I I completely agree with you in the sense that like, you know, off you know the the, the trend of the past decade has been that lightweight bikes get slightly aero, but I just I just can't see that. Why, why would they? Yeah. It's completely it's, that is the antithesis of what this this bike is designed to be. And if they were to move, you know, even even things like you know, there are ways to that they possibly could make it lighter. Like they could add an integrated seat post, for example, which we see on bikes such as the Giant TCR Advanced SL. Specialized have never done an integrated post, have they? No, and so it's, you know that could be one of the things. You know, a bit like how on their um, Diverge STR they had that really long seat post that that kind of flexes back and forth with the little uh, suspension. 
gizmo. You know, they they they. I can imagine them doing an integrated seat post, and and it kind of like that because this was a integrated seat post was something that you know was a very like in vogue, like in the kind of you know two thousands, and because because it makes you know you can make bikes lighter, you eliminate the kind of clamping hardware, all of that sort of stuff. But it does make it less of a kind of loose standards, all friendly bike mm. that this is. You know, this bike has a standard steerer with external cable routing, you know, semi Red bottom bracket, yeah, bottom bracket, you know, a standard. 27.2. Yeah, ex- exactly. And so, uh, and and yeah, like with a 585 gram frame weight, it's, it's hard to see them cutting much more weight from the frame. The problem in inverted commas of, of you know, how it gets lighter is, is elsewhere. You know, it's it, the group set, right? So they'd have to then be like, well, you know, a bit like with the Crux, maybe. Well, we're going to make this a one by only bike because it's a climber's bike. You don't. Ah, uh, the Crux big, isn't one by only. Actually, it's it's no mechanical front really. That, so that's, oh, okay. that's that's, that's yeah. So, but they don't sell any no, two by bikes. Uh, um, they didn't. No, that was one of my thing. They only sold one by SRAM bikes, and I personally would have thought a two by Shimano option would have been quite nice. But there we go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think it would have to do other things like that. So so it's it's a kind of it's a kind of tricky one. You know, they really I, I, not to kind of like sing the praises because this isn't really a bike that I you know I particularly like or love. But they kind of hit the nail on the head first try with this one, and you know, because it has all of those you know kind of neo retro features, mm-hmm. it has all of them. You know, with, there there aren't a lot of neo retro features that it that it doesn't have that you could adopt so unless they're going to kind of yeah release a you know a, a frame set that's maybe 500 grams for example like the first sub 500 mm. grams oh, what a headline do, do you know what i mean like that it's that kind of headline grabbing thing and then maybe they'd pair that with a set of ultra light wheels that use a you know a special kind of string mm. spokes or something <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's going to be yeah i feel so i feel like it's going to be that but i but i would agree that i don't think we're going to see much deviation from the formula i wonder um we're going to say this in two sentences because we cannot go on on this i wonder if the next frontier of bikes like this will be some drastic change in material science where like carbon isn't going to go away but maybe it was some advancement in how carbon's laid up or made or whatever i think with aethos simon they should put rim brakes back on it in mudguard mounts and then it's a bike i would buy <laughs> mudguard <laughs> mounts <laughs> okay away from lightweight bikes back onto the world of aero simon simon's comfort blanket of bike tech <laughs> we'll go on to the cannondale system six which actually is six years since we first laid by eyes on the back. I couldn't quite believe that when I saw our notes for this. Um, that's old. It is that, old. Yeah, that yeah, is I, actual I, old. I think we spotted Taylor Finney riding it. Whoa, remember him? Long retired, mm. but um, I think he's he's now into his painting, I believe. But um, yeah, he was a, he was a cool guy, and uh, it so. But it has been a really long time since the System Six was launched. You, you know, I think it's still a, a very fast bike, and. One you awarded five stars to, if I recall, Simon. Yeah, indeed. I I got on really, really well with it. I got on really, really well with it. I think if we are to see an update... Now, Cannondale, unlike Specialized, hasn't announced that the System 6 is is dead like the Venge. It it did make the Super 6 more aerodynamic, you know, even though everyone loved the old round tube, (laughs) old round tube traditional uh, Super 6. But I I think if we see a new version of this, it's going to be more kind of just bringing it up to date with kind of some small aero tweaks, you know, maybe, maybe some things that make it like look a little bit 
a bit, a bit nicer, it's a bit less ungainly. But I think, for example, you know, we're, we're very likely to see the BB30 bottom bracket get ditched in favor of a fretted bottom bracket. Now, I might prefer BB86 press fit because it's lighter and it's slightly more efficient. But, you know, I imagine seeing, seeing as the Super 6 has gone to fretted, we'd see that, you know, I would imagine they would, for example, get rid of the current cable integration system that sees a kind of little channel in front of the head Imagine, imagine a pelican's mouth open, yeah. gawping for a fish. That's what I always thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, because I think that had issues with, this, you know, had a steerer stop and there were, you know, potentially bikes, that, you know, basically if you turn the handlebars too hard, it could crack the frame because of this steering stops. But the new... Super 6 has what they call a delta steerer, which is kind of like tri- triangle shape, a new integration system with no steerer stop. So I think we would see that adopted, you know, and that that is compatible with both integrated and two-piece cockpit, which is quite nice. You know, I'm sure they would also make it a little bit lighter. You know, we've seen a lot of aero bikes go for the kind of, you know, mullet of an aero front end and a lightweight lightweight kind of seat post, seat tube and, and a rear end. So it could, you know, the, the current System 6 has a very deep seat deep seat tube and seat post, for example. So it is feasible to imagine that they move to a kind of slimmer seat post. You know, the, the seat the seat tube and seat post on the Super 6, for example, are very, very thin. And I can imagine them doing something similar with the System 6, but with a kind of like a, a, a longer cord length, you know, kind of a, a bigger aerofoil shape that is more aerodynamic, but similarly slim and, you know, a little bit more compliance. And then, yeah, we might see a kind of updated hologram 64 not wheel set to go alongside it. You know, we saw updated wheel sets with the Super 6. You know, personally, like I really liked the 64 mil deep wheels, but... Did they make a good sound? They did make a good sound and they had, you know, they were well ahead of their time with like super wide... I don't know if you remember, but they had super wide rims and they specced like 23... uh, C tires on them and the rim, the rim bed, you know, you could see it proud of the of the tire and it, and it did make you worry when you were riding it that if you had a <laughs> puncture you'd just instantly be riding on the rim mm. now back then in 2018 when those when that was released that was really unusual but now with you know the likes of hunt limitless wheels you know rovals rapide clx wheels are like you know, we have envy wheels that are super wide as well you know that's that's much more accepted i i, I think you know a more a kind of shallower rim and a slightly more all-rounder wheel setup might prove a little bit more popular as while it might be slightly slower you know i think it is still fair to say that um you know 64 mil deep wheels you know that that is a lot for some people and it's and i think i do think that would kind of like limit its popularity somewhat so i do wonder if they might go for kind of like a 55 mil deep rim or something a slightly wider slightly shallower slightly lighter you know that sort of thing Interesting. And finally, you reckon possibly integrated bottle cages in the uh, the spirit of some of BMC's designs. Yeah, BMC have done it and then the Giant Propel did it. You know, right, we, yes. And we've seen it on more time trial bikes. I think it's just one of those like uh, low-hanging fruit aero upgrades. You know, Cannondale did actually, funnily enough, release its own version of an aero bottle and aero bottle cage for the Super 6. It's a kind of like it has a squared off edge. That, oh, yeah, that I ma- that. Ma- yeah, yeah, that yeah. Personally, that's not really my favorite style mm. because you only get the aero benefit if you use the specific aero bottles. I'd much rather it be, you know, as on the kind of the BMC and the Propel, or what, I, I'd much rather it just be aero with standard bottles. Anyway, but, you know, I think they might, I might, they might do something like that. Interesting. Yeah, I... I kind of forgot about the System 6, if I'm honest. I, d- I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's just a bike that's not been on my uh, my radar at all because it has been so Not long. been on bike radar. bike radar, yeah, yeah. I, you, you were kind of pointing at the start about the, the Venge being discontinued and specialised. 
it's not something really, really we've given pause for thought with the System 6. I think Cannondale's more willing to, to take chances with unusual bikes, so I'd be quite surprised if this was discontinued altogether. But definitely, something that's on the mind. Something that's on the mind. Uh, away from aero bikes, we go to endurance bikes. 2023 was a really big year for endurance bikes with the Giant Define, the Specialized Roubaix, among others. Um, and the Caledonia sort of mm, set the tone a little bit for endurance bikes in recent years when it was launched in 2020 with a sort of aero influence, decent tire clearance at 35 mils, and oh, so wonderful mudguard mounts. And subsequent bikes from um, other brands have definitely looked at that formula or have followed a similar formula. What's next? That bike isn't entirely clear, but it is probably one that's due an update. I mean, the obvious move is probably to increase tire clearance first and foremost. The Specialized Roubaix we mentioned has got tire clearance for up to 40 millimeters. Bear in mind that only a few years ago, that is like normal gravel bike territory, but people want more all-roundy bikes and these sort of endurance all-road, all-versatile bikes are popular. So increasing tire clearance for a bike which isn't just about going as fast as possible. Very few dis, uh, disadvantages. Also, increase, c- increasing tire clearance increases your ability to run mudguards with wider tires too, which is never a bad thing. Um, and for other contexts, the Defy is at 38 millimeters. But what else for that bike? I'm not super sure. Simon, have you given this any thought? A little bit, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, you know, the endurance bike is definitely having a bit of a resurgence. And I think, you know, Cervelo is still a kind of racy bike brand. I think they will keep it kind of, you know, aero. But like you say, yeah, wider tire clearances, maybe up to kind of like 40 millimeters or something. Yeah, hopefully keep the, the mudguard mounts, hopefully keep the kind of non-integrated front end. But then, you know, maybe it could be compatible with an integrated front end as well if people want that. Um yeah, like I, you know, I don't, I, I don't imagine we're going to see something like the kind of split V stem from the Cervelo S5 being point, ported no. over to the Caledonia, but I don't think that's what people want. So that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I, I, you know, the endurance road bike is is definitely having a, a resurgence, and it's kind of interesting to see. As you say, like, you know, if, if everything's getting you know, 38 millimeters on the Defy, 48, 40 millimeters on the Roubaix, you know, if this goes to 40 millimeters as well, like, you know, where, do, like, where do they go from, from there is kind of 45 mil. I mean, but my gravel bike has 45 mil tire clearance. Don't you feel good being able to say your gravel bike now, Simon? Yeah, I do. joined the church. Um, so, yeah, but, but like, but we are seeing more tire brands release really chunky slicks. Mm. So, you know, the, I think the Pirelli P0 TLR is available in up to a 40 C now, which is just kind of, you know, which just wouldn't have existed mm. a few years ago for a racy tire. So, yeah, I, I think that, that could be one to see an update. I think, yeah, it, when I picture it in my head, it will be like the kind of the soloist, you know not completely integrated but have aero tubes and and you know just kind of clearance for bigger tires but i think that would be a you know a, a popular formula i think so whenever i think about the soloist i chuckled to myself uh, with the frame pump fitted to those uh, those bikes the soloist is pitched as cervelo's sort of like privateer racers bike i mean it's a really nice looking cool carbon bike but they sort of I think tried to push the point a little bit too much with a silk frame pump and a carbon frame, but that's me just being catty. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> and I'm a guy that would use a frame pump, so no shade, <laughs> there's some shade from me. Anyway, that's a roundup of what we think are 
probably going to be launched this year, but maybe you've got some saucy scoop up your sleeve. Maybe you're on the inside world of cycling tech. If you spot any cool stuff being raced by teams, maybe out in the wild on your latest cafe stop with World Tour riders, well, send us a photo to podcast at bikegrader.com. You will get more admiration and uh, affection from Simon than you could ever wish for. Breaking scoops about new bikes is his favorite pastime. Simon, have a wonderful 2024 filled with lots of tasty new launches. I hope it keeps you busy and well-fed for the year ahead. Thanks very much, Jack. And I hope the page views come in in return. I'm sure they will. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 